Welcome to McChesney Unchained, a new show on the BSN Denver Podcast Network. Before we jump into it, we want you to know that this is a little different than our other shows. Matt McChesney is going to give you an uncensored take on what's going on in the football world, and if you have kids around, you may want to listen to this at another time. McChesney's opinions do not represent those of BSN Denver, but they are real, and they come from a CU legend who spent six years battling in the NFL trenches. Now, sit back and enjoy the show. And welcome to episode 49 of McChesney Unchained on the DNVR podcast network i am your host matt mcchesney as always coming to you from the studio here at six zero football academy six zero strength and fitness aka the bridge aka the dungeon family uh this place is pretty awesome six zero strength.com we had another kid get his first offer uh and change his life yesterday core kringlin up at holy family hats off to you uh Braden Miller got CSU earlier last week. His brother also went through the program earlier, Bear Miller, and he's at Stanford. Not to get off on a tangent, but I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, so check it out at 60strength.com and at 60academy on Twitter and Instagram, uh, especially if you have some talent or your kid has some talent because we can definitely help you walk the bridge to not paying for college. Uh, and that's going to be a big topic today as we go through episode 49. Um, we have a ton to talk about here today uh, on the uh, DNVR uh, podcast network. Check out everything uh, that Brandon Spano and the team's doing. They've rebranded and it kicks ass. Uh, make sure you check them out at all the Buff games. All the Bronco games are always at tailgates, so check it out. Um, the website's awesome. The stories are awesome. And then on episode 50, our special 50th episode special next week, on Tuesday we were supposed to have Atwater and Steve Atwater, the great Steve Atwater, and Andrew Mason, who's now with DNVR. Um, and on Tuesday, but we had a problem at the at, uh, at the dungeon, and we had to maintenance the hot tub and the cold tub. We had an, an issue, so we had to reschedule for next week. It actually worked out better to be on episode 50 and do the special with the GOAT, Steve Atwater, who's one of my football idols, uh, one of the best players in Bronco history and NFL history, uh, to say the least. And then also the great Andrew Mason, who everybody knows if you follow Mace, there is no one better at covering. I mean, that dude is on top of it. He's the insider of insiders, to say the least. So I'm very, very honored to have both those men on the show next week uh, and, you know, to rock episode 50 with everybody that's been rocking with us since day one when it was BSN. So, like I said, this is episode 49. I'm Matt McChesney. Remember, you can always check out the show at uh, DNVR Unchained on Twitter. And we also encourage you to check out the film series that we do. We always put our breakdowns up on that. Now, we are looking for in small businesses in Colorado or Colorado-based businesses that would like to sponsor the, the film series and the podcast. We have a ton of listeners and a ton of views on the film series. We had close to 70,000 hits on a couple of those videos. And uh, we try to give in-depth looks and in-depth information, and some people get offended by it. And I'm sorry that the world's filled with snowflakes, but it is what it is. Um, so if you'd love to 
get involved with that, we'd love to, you know, advocate for your business and, and get you involved with Six Zero and also with Unchained. So check uh, check out the website. It has all the information for contact on it, SixZeroStrength.com. Or, of course, you can always get a hold of me at DNVR Unchained on Twitter. All right, we roll. So pay-to-play. The pay-to-play bill signed in California. They do it on LeBron's show on HBO. It was pretty cool. It's a landmark uh, moment. It's not supposed to be instituted until 2023. South Carolina is trying to institute a bill that could happen in, in like three months. That's a crazy turnaround. I think we need a little bit more time than that to figure this out. We probably should do it after the football season and focus on what is pertinent right now, which is just playing the year. I am 100,000 million percent behind this. And, you know, I've, uh, I've been working with high school kids and I've been working with recruiting and, and coaches for 10, 11 years now. And... I'm the best at what I do in this area, and I, I don't, there's no debate, and I'm not cocky about it, I know I'm right, that's why I fight so hard for what I believe in. The great Muhammad Ali, when asked, why are you fighting so hard for what you believe in? Because I know I'm right, and that's how I feel, and I don't get along with everybody, and you're not supposed to, and I'm not trying to get along with my competition, you're not supposed to. I'm not trying to go and like lock arms with people that, that are trying to take food off my table, I'm a competitor. And I'm competitive with my guys. And this is the best possible thing that can happen to college football because it makes people earn it. It puts the money in the pocket of the athlete immediately and makes them grow up and be a fucking man and manage their checkbook and their checking account and actually do things correctly. Then they actually see the worth in paying for their own classes, if that's where this goes. If we're just talking about likenesses, Okay, that's cool. Then only the top 2-3% of the team are going to get paid. That's not, the likeness thing isn't going to work forever. Although, if this is the first step, I think it will materialize down the road into something bigger, where everybody gets something more. And it's feasible. And I don't want to hear this, well, you can't pay the last player on the roster what you pay the first player. Who said that? No one. It, it, I don't expect that to happen either. It, the better you are, the more you get paid, just like every other business in the world. So... To act like it's impossible to figure out a structure of payment for college athletes is ridiculous. I can't believe it's actually a topic of conversation. We're in a capitalist country. We are the capitalist country. We set, we set up how to pay people and get loaded. This is it. We, we know how to do this in America. They can figure out pay structure easily. Now, I'm a little bit ahead of the curve here because I've been talking about this football being a business for God knows how long. And I get a lot of flack for it. And I really push my guys to act like businessmen and to, to your body is your business and not go to college and act like a big timer and fuck around. Go there and earn it. Be a foundation player. Go to the NFL and actually make money. And there's a lot of guys that have gone through the program that are in the league. You know who I'm talking about. All over the league. And a lot of guys we work with in the NFL that are very successful. And that's the whole point of this is striking while the iron's hot to get what you can get. And look, people move on. You're not going to work with everybody for life. You're not supposed to. Nothing happens like that. Give everybody what you got while you're together and help them get to where they want to go. And that those people will forever be indebted to you and forever want you in their life and and why wouldn't they that we're trying to build relationships at six zero and it goes hand in hand with the business part of what's happening now in college football the the more that i've 
around the guys I work with and the more that I can teach them the ins and outs and empower them. I, I just started working with this big tackle from Northern Colorado who consequently a bunch of his teammates or some of the coaches up there last year told them not told him not to come work with me. Don't work with him for the combine. And he's been working with me for, for two weeks and he's learned way more than he ever has and his techniques through the roof. And he's really confident and he's like, wow, why didn't I come work with you? Because he listened to fucking idiots. He listened to people that don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. If you're out there talking shit about 6-0 like we don't know what we're doing, you're a fucking moron. We're the best in the business. That's why you're talking shit, chump. But back to the story. So he comes in, he's working. He's about to get drafted in the XFL draft, hopefully. He just got cut by the Saints. He's going to get another opportunity. My point is this. If he would have done his own research and done his own, you know, reached out instead of listening to just an agent, instead of listening to just his buddies, he would have been in the room a year ago getting right, and he would have learned this a year ago. If your agent's not going to pay for your training, they don't think they're going to get their money back. Get empowered players, people that are involved in the business. In college football, if you get offered and they won't let you commit, that's real shady. That happened this month. I've never heard that before. The pay-for-play stuff, the business part of that will eliminate that. You won't be able to dangle offers and fuck with kids anymore. There's a lot of people that don't want this to change because they like control. Co guys that are coaching and developing, the Mel Tuckers of the world, the Darren Chivarinis of the world, the Anthony Perkins of the world, Tony Alfreds of the world, the Mike Elstons of the world, the Justin Fries of the world, the Dustin Fries of the world. The guys around college football that are G's, Garn, the Garn Justices of the world, the Brad Bedells of the world, the Cedric Cormiers of the world, the Ryan Walters of the world, the, Brad, the, the Barrett Roods of the world. I know you don't know a lot of these people, but I do. First name basis, that's why 6-0 is different. So college football becoming a business is a good thing. Kids getting paid is a good thing. They deserve their equal share of the pie. You shouldn't, your, your earning potential should not be cut from 17, 18 to 21, 22. That's the max earning for football players, man. Our, our careers are not long. I retired at 29. I would have loved to make all the money from all the Big 12 title appearances and wins and bowl games and shit at CU when I was there. A stipend check's not good enough anymore. And I don't care if it destroys the NCAA. Get rid of the dictatorship. Down with the dictator. I say we go to 80. 80 teams, five conferences, and roll. And I know this is a lot of information quickly, but I don't care. This is my show. And it's it's an awesome conversation, and it's it's worth having. You, you fold some of the Mountain West and some of the service academies and independents into it. No more independents. Notre Dame, BYU, Army, you got to join a conference. And we play 80 teams, and we roll. And we get rid of the NCAA, and we start, you know, printing money. You know what? I bet you... They make more money when they empower the athletes and start paying them. Or they empower the athletes and they let them do likeness. However this matures into people getting paid, I'm telling you, man, scared money don't make money. And if you don't believe that, this is America. If you can't make money in America, you're a fucking douchebag, okay? Scared money don't make money. So I'm really glad that this is happening. California steps up. There's other states falling in line. Let's go get it, man. There's especially football. The life expectancy of a football player on the field is very short. You got to get yours while you can. Players, if you're listening, all right, ask questions of your agents. You're about to start getting courted for combine and pro day. Ask questions. Don't just say, yes, sir. I'm so glad you're talking to me. You're the commodity. You hold the hammer. 
high school players, they're recruiting you. You hold the hammer. You're the commodity. Start advocating for yourself. Football is a business. Act accordingly. All right, episode 49 rolls on McChesney Unchained on the DNVR Podcast Network. DNVRDenver.com, check it out. My man Brandon Spano has done a great job with uh, this network, and I'm very honored to be a part of it. So we roll on. Um, we'll go straight into the NFL and then talk about the Broncos. <clears throat> There's uh, some top stories I want to talk about right off the bat. Number one, Frank Gore busts 15,000 yards on Sunday. He's only the fourth guy to do it. Sweetness, Emmett. Barry and Gore. Frank's the first ballot Hall of Famer. Anybody that debates that's a moron, you, your opinion immediately doesn't count. I don't care about Super Bowls or any of that. Played in a Super Bowl at the 49ers. He's, I, I don't know how he's doing this. He's a freak of nature. I mean, he's my age and he's had multiple knee surgeries and he's killing it. So hats off to the great Frank Gore from the U. Um, the Raiders, who host the Bears this weekend, and I'm sure David Carr, or whichever Carr brother that is, he's going to look like his brother getting sacked this weekend when the historically good Bears defense that we'll talk about in a minute rolls into Oakland. Um, but Vontez Burfitt's suspended for the year because of the hit. Number one, Doyle, stay down, okay? You're on the ground. The other guy touched you. You don't need to get up and act like you're running. That's number one. Number two, Vontez, get your head up. You're going to paralyze yourself. We just saw Ryan Shazier tackle with his head down, and now he's never going to play again, unfortunately. Number three, t t 10, 15 years ago, and I know no one wants to hear this, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to have Atwater on this show, but we'll talk to him about it next week as well because I'm sure something else will come up this weekend. 10, 15 years ago, that would have been a highlight hit, and people would have been high-fiving him. And now he's demonized and kicked out of the league, and no one wants to be his teammate, and everybody thinks he's a bad dude. I personally think Vontez Burfitt's a telephone tough guy. I think he's a punk. I think he's very good at taking cheap shots. Do I think this is a cheap shot? Yeah, I, I do. But I also think there's a lot of other factors involved in it. I, I don't think it's right to train football players to be – killers on the field and to have the things I've had said to me about how to be vicious on the field and violent and what to do and then ask us not to do it on the field in the heat of the moment. So the running off the field and smiling as a defense mechanism, I find it very, very funny almost that John Runyon is the player, uh, is the guy in charge of levying punishment. John Runyon was one of the nastiest, surliest, cheapest sons of bitches I've ever seen. The only guy I never saw him cheap shot was Michael Strahan because Strahan used to just beat the shit out of him all the time. But John Runyon was not a nice player. John Runyon was cheap as fuck. John Runyon used to beat the shit out of people. I used to love watch John Runyon play. John Runyon's a, one of those tough guys. He's a Kevin Gogan type. John Runyon's an a, a incognito type, just not crazy. I'm glad Richie's better, but he also scares me at the same time. He, mentally a little, woo. Great player, though. You know, I, I want my offensive lineman to be like that, but that's not where the league's going either. So for John Runyon to sit on his high horse like he's never done anything cheap on a football field, it's just, it's amazing how people's memories are super short. If Vontez Burford played for the Broncos, everyone would be defending this. I'm just saying that, okay? That's all I'm saying. Have fun sitting out for a year. He'll probably never play again. The Bears roll into Oakland. Now, I've heard a lot of talk about the Bears' defense and being historically great. We're four weeks in. They got beaten the first round of the playoffs last year. If I'm going to sit here and talk about historically great defenses, and I'd love to hear your feedback on this if we miss one, okay? The 85 Bears, obviously, okay? 
Um, the 2015 Broncos are, in my opinion, the best single-season defense I ever saw. Yeah, I'm biased. But it's also true. The 2000 Ravens are right up there, obviously. Super Bowl-winning MVP on defense, just like the Broncos. Super Bowl-winning defense that led them, just like the Broncos. So they're right up there. The 2006 Ravens were just as dominant. They just didn't get there. They lost in the AFC title game to the Steelers. Those Steelers teams were more Ben Roethlisberger-led. They weren't great defense, in my opinion. It wasn't just the defense doing it. If you have a little bit of offensive help, you're not on this list. The 85 Bears had sweetness and McMahon, but they were also defensive-led and oriented. They didn't allow a point in the playoffs until the Super Bowl. The, the Broncos, but Peyton Manning couldn't throw the ball forward. The defense led them. Everyone knows that in Denver. The 2000 Ravens, you had Tony Banks and Trent Dilford. That's all I got to say. So when you're talking about historically great defenses, those three are the first three that pop up to me. And then also the steel curtain from the 70s. Modern day from 2000 on, uh, or, or, excuse me, modern day football from, we'll say, the merger on, the steel curtain is is a is what you aspire to be, right? So teams, when they look up to that greatness and they go, "How are we? How can we be that great for that long?" It's hard on defense to be that great for that long. So I look at it as great defenses in a single year. If you want me to think the Chicago Bears are going to be the 2019 Bears are that good, they got to win the Super Bowl, and the defense needs to be the catalyst. And Mac or Smith, if he can figure out what's going on off the field, or Eddie Jackson needs to be the MVP. Just like, you know, the, the great Seahawk defense when K.J. Harris was, or not K.J., when Malcolm Smith was the MVP, that was a great defense, the, the no-fly zone. So, it, you know, that that's what I'm looking for, that Seahawk defense. Defensive MVP in the Super Bowl, they win because their defense is shut down. They had a great offense, but that defense is what propelled them. Everyone knows that, and now, and now it's transitioned to Russell's team. Broncos, defensive-led, defensive MVP in the Super Bowl one. Ravens, defensive-led, defensive MVP in the Super Bowl one. That's what I'm looking for. So if the Bears want to be that, I need to see it. I'm sure they're going to mop up Oakland, although I am very interested to see Trent Brown against Khalil Mack because Trent Brown is one of the best in the business, the big tackle for the Raiders. All right, Kansas City uh, came back to beat the Lions. Mahomes didn't throw a touchdown, didn't need to. Uh, the Kansas City Globetrotters, excuse me, the Chiefs uh, were out there balling. The Kelsey to uh, Shady McCoy lateral was badass, man. I love watching Kansas City. Even though I hate them, I love watching them. They're a lot of fun. They got the Colts this weekend. This was a great game in the preseason because Andrew Luck hadn't retired yet. It's still a good game. It's not great anymore. This was going to be a, you know, a budding rivalry for the next five, seven years. Luck and Mahomes and it started in the playoffs last year. It's too bad that Luck retired. I get it, but it's too bad. And, you know, it, it's still a good game, but far from a great one. I don't think the Colts are what they were. So I anticipate Kansas City will remain undefeated as they beat Indianapolis this weekend. Um, and then the game of the weekend, before we talk about last night, Thursday Night Football, is Packers and Cowboys, in my opinion. Now, of course, we're going to talk about the Broncos here in a second. Packers at the Cowboys, the last time the Packers went to Dallas was uh, the Aaron Rodgers playoff game where he brought him back and he had the great throw to Jared Cook down the sideline. Aaron Rodgers in the offense is up and down. They're, they're still figuring each other out. The defense was really good for the first three weeks, really bad against Philadelphia. They got ran through. Dallas has got to be looking at, at that as the blueprint on how to beat uh, the Packers, and I'm sure they will get them up the field in the pass rush lanes and then exploit the pass rush lanes with delayed runs and screens. 
and they just ate him up. Now, I, mean, I know that Mike Pettin and that defense are going to absolutely acclimate and get better. And, you know, playing on Thursday night gives you a bye week, essentially. So they're going to come in healthy and hungry, and I know Aaron Rodgers loves playing in domes, and he's going to carve up Dallas. This is going to be a great game, man. I'm literally looking forward to watching Green Bay-Dallas. This is, this is one of those old-school throwbacks. This is a great game for the NFL when both teams are good, and both teams are, and I wouldn't be surprised if they play again in the playoffs. Um, I'm going to take the Packers on the road in this game, actually. I still, I'm in the Stephen A. Smith way of thinking that the Cowboys are always going to choke, and I, I don't know what it is about them, but they just can't seem to figure it out. So until they, they prove me wrong, I, I can't pick them to be right. Uh, so check that game out. Now, last night, the Seahawks beat the Rams 30-29. Uh, the game was kick-ass. It was up and down. The refs weren't as involved as they usually are. Um, until the end, of course, we'll talk about that in a minute, but the touchdown pass from Russell Wilson to Lockett when he was rolling left and threw, squared up and threw his, threw the ball into the back corner and Lockett toe touched it, you know, three inches from being out of bounds, both feet in, secured the catch touchdown. It's one of the best individual plays I've seen a quarterback receiver make. It was absolutely nuts. Russell Wilson's special, man. I mean, he's all these people talking about first-round quarterbacks and how are the Broncos going to get this or that. In my opinion, Tua, Tua Tagovailoa is Russell Wilson, and he is Mahomes, and he is, you know, Kyler Murray. He's that high, that Dak Prescott guy. But again, Dak and Russell Wilson both went in third and fourth round, so we can get him later in the draft too. It's about scouting and development. All the good players aren't in the first round, folks. Stop being blinded by it. Just another opportunity to watch that guy. So, you know, I, I love watching Russell Wilson butt back full circle, playing a third-round pick, outplaying a first overall pick, and Jared Goff, it's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Uh, the Rams still seem like they're searching to really figure out how to replace Sullivan, how to replace Saffold, who went to Tennessee, Sullivan retired. Brian Allen, the, the center's an outstanding player. Uh, they're all trying to gel up front. They were better last night. Gurley, you know, got off and had a, a nice night. Uh, looks healthy. Goff had a nice night. It was a competitive game. They should have won. I mean, they, they missed a field goal on the last play of the game to to lose by, what, two inches right? My thing is this, okay? I don't know how many games I've watched start to finish this year, but I bet at least 10 of them have been decided on the last drive of the game by the refs. Two of the Bronco losses. This game last night, the Clay Matthews roughing, was one of the worst calls I've ever seen. He didn't even touch his helmet. That roughing play put Seattle in position to win the football game, which they did. You know, it, it just... <laughs> some of these penalties are so egregiously bad. I don't know how you justify it when you're sitting in a meeting room. I know the refs watch tape. I don't know how you justify it when you're sitting in the meeting room talking about it. How do you justify this, gentlemen? What is wrong with you? Are you fucking blind? I mean, come on, guys. You got to be better than this. You are costing people football games. We're talking about the refs all the time, and it's getting to the point where I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I'm going to take a Sunday off, man. I can't put myself through this anymore. I, it, it's getting to the point where I watch the game, and I'm like, oh, the fucking ref is going to screw this up. I want to go on FanDuel and bet and, and like, and get in on this, and I, I know a lot about ball, man. My wife is always like, why aren't you betting on football? You'd be cleaning up. First of all, that's not true. I'm probably going to lose the minute I start betting with my fucking luck. 
But second of all, it's because of shit like this. Because I can't, I don't know what the point spread is on the fucking ref. I don't know which, you know, it's like I have to evaluate which crew's working which game in order to really be able to bet on that game in an educated manner because I'm not in the business of throwing fucking money down the shithole because you've got, you know, Hockley's son out there continuing the family legacy of bad fucking refereeing. I got called for holding by Ed Hockley once. On a, I think it was a Sunday night game with the Bears. <laughs> and I was like, Ed, what are you talking about? That's bullshit. And he looked at me and said, get back in the huddle, 60. I said, okay, Ed, go do some more fucking curls. But still, the refing needs to get better, okay? But it was a great game last night. The Seahawks are real. They're 4-1. I'm telling you, if that team gets home field, or they, you know, they're going to be hard out if they have home field in the playoffs. So... They're sitting pretty in that division, and they, you know, the Rams have San Francisco. The, the Seahawks still have to play San Francisco twice. San Francisco's undefeated. They have Cleveland on Monday night. The Browns really mopped up Baltimore in Baltimore on Sunday. Uh, the Browns figure it out. They're going to be great. I mean, just Baker Mayfield needs to see the whole field and stop fucking buying into all the shit talking on TV. That's one thing. I don't really remember players engaging the media and the fans as much because social media wasn't around back in the day, but... Even me, like, I, I'll post a couple of videos and Jeff Hireman, like, commented on it on, on Twitter. Like, dude, I understand that it may not be the scheme that you guys are running. I'm going off what I think. It's not a sort call. Okay. Why are you even fucking commenting? What are you doing? Just ignore the media, bro. Come on. I'm in the same union you are. I can say whatever the fuck I want to say. Get used to it. So th this is my point. You can't be a player and be sensitive about what the media says. This is our job, and especially an ex-player. Give me a fucking break, man. So when you're done playing, you don't get to talk. When you're done playing, you go on the radio and start talking. I'm going to be offended, and I'm going to reach out to you and be offended about it. Grow the fuck up. This is a grown-ass man's game. That's all I'm saying. It's a lot of guys, too. There's a lot, like, Antonio Brown always does it. People are always reaching out to the media and, like, Oh, what do you mean, your opinion? Dude, shut up. You're a multimillionaire athlete. You have the right to be criticized. That's their job. It's an analytic job where you have to criticize what you're watching constructively as well. Do every time they say something nice about you, do you call and, and say thank you? No. So stop being so sensitive. God damn, the sensitivity generation. I call it the millennial ego over at 6-0. Every time I try and correct a kid or a parent and they immediately get pissed off at me for hiring me or for coaching what they hired me to do, I'm like, check your ego, bro. This is what we do here. We're trying to get better. We're not trying to just get offered. That's, a di that's different. Moving on. Episode 49 of McChesney Unchained on the DNVR Podcast Network. The Denver Broncos... Uh, had a very rough game Sunday, to say the least. And it took me a while this week. I didn't want to do it early in the week because I was pretty hot about it. I, I was pretty happy at halftime, 17-3. to At the end of the game, I was pretty disappointed. And honestly, when the defense went out on the field, I looked at my wife and said, we're done. They're about to blow this. And then we got another terrible penalty. I get it, but it's still a penalty. that put them in position to beat us, including some awful defense at the end of the game. I just don't understand. 0-4 could easily be 2-2. Two and two, I get it. But it's 0-4. And, and it could easily be 0-5. And, and then could easily be 0-6. And, 
and that's ugly and there's no way to cover that up and there's no way to positive talk out of it and there's no way to talk about like everybody being on board people are going to abandon ship people are going to stop going i was part of a part of a team that abandoned mile high on josh mcdaniels and he got fired i'm not saying vic's going to get fired that's ridiculous but I don't see how the talk doesn't start if they're 0 and 5, 0 and 6, 0 and 7, and they've got, they've got at the char or at the Chargers, they've got the Titans, they've got the Browns, they got the Colts, the Texans coming up. It's not like they have bad football teams. They got a bunch of teams that are all fighting to stay in playoff contention, and we're not in playoff contention. The Chiefs are coming up. That's I think the next three are, yeah, the the. Uh, the game this weekend, the Titans, and then the Chiefs, and then the Colts. So you got, you know, four playoff teams in a row. So, you know, the the, the Broncos have a, a high hill to climb here. Now, the Chubb ACL tear is awful. Malik Reed, time to step up. That's bad. Um, I, I don't... I don't even know what to say about a 10-minute and 34-second drive, the longest drive in Jacksonville since 1998. I mean, it just and just to slam it in the end zone the way they did. I posted a bunch of technique videos on DNVR Unchained. Go check them out of just the defense getting just piped on the All-22 view. And you can see how Jacksonville was just taking it to them. And look, I can't believe I'm going to say what I'm going to say, but I have to. I played for Bill Kolar, and yes, it was a short time, but he instilled things in me that I took with me the rest of my career. And you can laugh about my time in St. Louis. Go ahead. I got West Nile virus and almost died, and I was really ill. Laugh it up, man. That's hilarious. I got cut in the hospital by mail. It's so funny. That's so fun. Laugh it up. My misfortune is so funny, and it defined me too, you know? So every time you see me, you can point at me and laugh about it, you fucking jerk-offs. Bill Kolar instilled things in me like chase the ball and effort makes up for mistakes. And that's all he really cared about. And I was scared shitless to let him down and not run. So when I turn the tape on and there's two instances that I saw blatantly, two by Vaughn, one by Chris Harris, you know, the, the play where Will Parks missed the tackle at the point of attack, which was a poor effort also, put your head in front of Fournette, your body in front of him, not your arm. But Chris Harris and Vaughn are on the backside of that play, and they literally walk and watch. And you can't tell me that Vaughn Miller, the most explosive pass rusher in the NFL, and Chris Harris, a Hall of Fame corner, both of them Hall of Fame players, can't run full speed 30 yards on an angle in pursuit drill and get the ball out. You can't convince me of that, and if you're going to try, you're a football fucking moron. You don't know shit, and your team probably sucks if you're a coach. And then I watched on the Fournette run coming out from the south stands. Yeah, it was probably a hold, but it also was a terrible flat step by Vaughn. He didn't get in the B gap. It's a pirate stunt where the, the defensive back is blitzing off the corner and you have a five technique taking the B gap as you have a two eye in the front side A gap already. So you don't have to pirate the three technique because he's on the other side in an overfront. And the, the back splits the gap and Vaughn misses him and then turns and watches. And Fournette runs 80 yards, but Vaughn walks. And I don't, he's, he's one of the best players I've ever seen. So to watch him walk is disrespectful, in my opinion, to the other guys that play this game. It's disrespectful to his teammates that everybody in the room sits there and talks about going hard and selling out for each other. Is anybody calling out Vaughn and Chris? No. 
Absolutely not. I bet you Vic didn't even call him out. So is there really a, a nature of count, accountability at Dove Valley, at UC Health, or is it just a, a, a building full of enablers that is just banking on four years ago and winning a Super Bowl? Because that's not what the NFL is, not for long. You can't walk on tape, guys. I really hope I don't see that again this weekend. Because honestly, last year in New York, I saw the same kind of effort. I saw it two years ago in Philadelphia, and I did just reared its ugly head again at home. And I don't want to hear the enablers and the apologists talk. Shut up. Watch the tape and tell me I'm wrong. As a Bronco fan, is that what you want to see? And then try and convince me that if they did run full speed, that if the ball popped out, they couldn't fortuitously, fortuitously jump on it, or they couldn't strip the ball. That's what pursuit drill is. We do pursuit drill with the defensive players, the linebackers and defensive linemen and DBs at 6-0 damn near every fucking day. You can't tell me you don't teach NFL players how to do pursuit drill. I'm not buying it. So, everybody's talking about trades. Everybody's talking about, you know, who do we get rid of? I, I don't see the point in, in trading Vaughn. That's stupid, especially with Chubb getting hurt. You got to build around those two. You keep Vaughn here forever. You just figure out what he needs to be motivated and what he needs to be to feel good. And I bet you he would save 30 points a game so he can pass rush. But Chris Harris, I don't think he's going to return. I would trade Chris right now and get what I can get. Trade him to Philadelphia or something. Trade him. Don't just don't trade him Kansas City. But you, you got I, I think that he's anybody that's unrestricted at the end of the year, if you don't see them staying, you either have to play somebody else to get them ready. When, if especially when the season's over, or resign them, and and build around them, like what they need to do with number sixty, Connor McGovern, I really truly believe they need to lock him down and keep McGovern and Reisner together because I think they have a bright future together, to say the least. Don't develop sixty and then let him go somewhere else. He's too good. I, they do that a lot, by the way. They develop guys for other teams all the time, i.e. Ben Garland, i.e. Ty Sambrello. <laughs> i.e. Michael Schofield. And I don't want to hear what they did wrong here. They go to other teams and they become cornerstones because they got better coaching and development. So, period. So, trading. Anybody's on the block that's not going to be here next year. How's that sound? But I don't think that that's the end-all, be-all solve. I think that's just an opportunity to offload. And when are the people at Dove Valley going to admit that they are in the middle of a rebuild? I don't know. Is Drew Locke coming back in week nine? Even I think Flacco's playing well. You know, the restructuring of Joe Flacco's contract is mind-boggling to me. Why'd they do that? Now if they cut him, they owe him $24 bucks, where they didn't owe him anything. So obviously they must think Joe is the guy here for the future. And if he is, okay. I don't think Flacco's a bad quarterback. I think he can do a lot of good things. I think the offensive line has a lot of things to be happy about and a lot of stuff to build around. I think the backs are pretty good. I think the young receivers are pretty good. Emmanuel Sanders might be a guy that you might want to move, move Sanders and Harris, and then you can get some other leadership in the room to step up as well and start being vocal and start building their kind of, of room as a leader. Maybe Sutton becomes the guy in the wide receiver room, and then you know you have one of the young guys, Justin Simmons, can become the voice in the DB room, and you start building with them moving forward. And that's important. And I'm not talking shit about the veterans. This is the nature of the National Football League. 
a new voice is a good thing sometimes. That's why they switch head coaches constantly. So, you know, I, I, for the trade things, we'll see. The, the one thing I do want to shine some light on before we stop talking about the Broncos and start talking about the Chargers is how the Jaguars were talking about Denver being in awful shape. Now, I couldn't believe this when I heard it. I really couldn't. I couldn't believe that they were talking about the Denver Broncos being out of shape and dragging ass and walking and the terrible effort we saw and Jacksonville Jaguar players like laughing at the Broncos about it and talking to the media about it afterwards and being dumbfounded like they'd never seen anything like it before. Neither have I. We're supposed to have that advantage at a mile high in the heat. We're not supposed to go out there and be the tired team. They are. They're the Florida team. The Florida cream puff team is supposed to come up here and struggle in the altitude and the heat. Not the Broncos. I was shocked to hear it knowing that Lauren Landau is the strength coach. He's the best in the business. So I don't know if the players aren't doing enough. If they had some bad guacamole the night before and couldn't stop shitting or what the fuck was going on. But you can't, you can't lose games in the National Football League because of fatigue. I mean, the first thing they sell you is it's your responsibility as a professional athlete to be able to play the game at a high level, do your body a favor. So whatever they were doing last week, I don't know, maybe you need to look at that and, and figure out what the problem was, but too much salt in your diet or some shit, I don't know. It was hot, I know that, and they were on the field for a long time, I know that. But to, to drag ass in the third quarter after halftime the way they did, to have that, that drive happen immediately coming out in the third quarter... A 10-minute drive just smashing your face, that's concerning. And to be that tired and to be that lackadaisical with that much lack of effort. So I'd like, I'd hope that they can figure it out. Again, I'm sure I pissed somebody off when I brought all this up. I'm so sorry that I'm doing my job today. I'll write you an apology letter. I'll get you some flowers or send you a fucking card or something. I'll go to Safeway. We'll get you one with a teddy bear on it. Um, and we'll get it to you, and then I'll come do your. I'll come give you a fucking manicure and a pedicure. We'll rub your feetsie, and we'll get you in bed with your onesie, and we'll give you a nice warm bottle of milk. Okay, I'm sorry if I offended you, and that my analytic duties here for DNVR.com insulted you in some way. I super apologize. My six years in the NFL don't give me the right to say shit. <clears throat> so moving forward, the Chargers. The Chargers. You know that they're, they're a team that's up and down themselves. They look really good one week, and they are down in the dumps the next. They, I like their head coach, Anthony Lynn. Mel, getting Melvin Gordon back helps them from a rotational standpoint. I don't think he's the end-all, be-all of running backs, but he's a good player. I like their offensive line and the way they've gelled together, i.e. Schofield and Okun have really been good for them. Um, I don't know if, if Okun's lately been what they thought he's been in the past but he was good for a while another guy that was with the broncos so when you talk about their offense keenan allen is a fantastic player antonio gates still doing it defensively they got dudes all over the place all although losing darwin james definitely hurt at the beginning of the year the chargers know that this is a must win for them last year the broncos were not a very good team when they went into the soccer stadium there in la and beat the chargers so I know that the Chargers are looking to really get over that hump and beat Denver at home and keep their home field. It's going to be an away game for the home team. Again, it's going to be all orange again, I would anticipate. So I'd like to think the Broncos are going to go out and play a hard-nosed physical division game and go get a W because it's needed badly. 
to stop the bleeding. No team in Bronco history has ever started 0-5, and God forbid this one does. I just, I don't know how people are going to react. It's going to be really bad. People are going to start calling for people to get fired, even more so than they are. So, I mean, if we're 0-5 next week and we're setting president, you've got to start talking about John Elway in the front office and the lack of ownership and leadership at the top and how that's leading to a lack of accountability from top to bottom because if no one's there to fire the guy in charge it, people start looking at the guy in charge as a guy who is a a dictator mindset like the ncaa like we were talking about earlier i'm not saying always a dictator unless i am i don't know what i'm saying i'm saying that if they go on five shit's gonna get fucking bad again i'm sorry if i offended someone with my analytic duties to dnvr <laughs> if you can't tell I'm being sarcastic, you're deaf. <laughs> but still, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. So, moving forward. Um, I do think the Broncos will win this weekend. I don't think that they're going to start 0-5, thank God. All right, so, <clears throat> that said, your Colorado Buffaloes, and remember, everything Colorado Buffalo related is brought to you by our good friends at 10thanduni.com. Check them out at www.10thanduni.com. Uh, use the promo code BUFFCLUB and you'll get a nice discount. I rock the hats and the t-shirts damn near every day. They are super comfortable and they're swaggy, man. They have real deep hats and real stylish. I'll be rocking it again up there at the Arizona game this weekend, so I'll make sure to post about it. But they're on Instagram and Twitter as well, as well at 10th and Uni. And then check them out at 10thanduni.com. Use the promo code. Big thanks to them for sponsoring uh, DNVR Unchained here and uh, and bringing you all of our Colorado Buffalo talk. So the bus come off a of bye week and it's a much needed one to heal up and get uh, physically and mentally right for the Arizona Wildcats coming into Folsom on Saturday at 2.30. Uh, Khalil Tate, we'll see if he plays. The Buffs are getting ready for a two-quarterback system and they're going to need to because, you know, Tate, even if he's at 80%, the last time he came to Folsom, he ran wild, man. And it was one of the most frustrating nights as a Buff alum and an ex-player up there that I've ever witnessed because I watched the Buffs loaf that night. And I don't know if you can find a lot of guys that can't say that's true. Look at the tape. You know, you can't tell me that chasing Tate at an angle in that game, you wouldn't have caught him a couple of times. But it's a teachable moment. Again, don't get offended. So if, if CU can look at this the last two years where they're getting ran through by Arizona and we can't stop them, they are now being under the tutelage of the great Mel Tucker and Tyson Summers and Ells and Tillman and everybody else on that defensive staff that's just absolutely dominating. I mean, Jimmy B, the D-line coach, thank God for that, man. He's come in and got them playing their asses off. The defensive staff, if they can figure out the best way to scheme these guys up, CU wins this game. They have better players and better personnel, in my opinion. But Arizona knows they can beat CU. They've done it two times in a row in three or four. So... I this is a this is an uphill battle for the bus, man. And I don't like the CU fans saying it's a easy win and all this shit. Don't start falling back in this hole, folks. CU doesn't have easy wins. We've had a lot of bad football for a long time. We need to, to sustain consistency and win games and get to a bowl game and then do it again next year and do it again the year after that. And then I'll start talking about rolling over teams, okay? This is a tough game. Every game's going to be tough for CU. This game's going to come down to the fourth quarter and who's going to make a play. Arizona's not going to come in here and fucking roll over. All right, their offensive line coach, Kyle Devan, 
It's a good friend of mine. I'm going to meet with him actually this this evening, Friday night, to talk recruiting and get you know the the resumes in the hands of Arizona and meet Coach Sumlin and talk shop and talk about the guys in the program, but also talk to him about what he's thinking and his scheme. And, and I've watched a lot of tape on their on their guys, and they get after people at the point of attack. You know, I know that Kyle Devan isn't going to sit back and tell his guys to be passive. He's going to tell them to go out there and smash them face. His nickname when we used to train together was Pork Chop. You know, Kyle was an undrafted kid. He, he went played for the Super Bowl at the Colts. Started the Super Bowl at the Colts, the one they lost to the Saints, unfortunately. So I know Kyle's going to have that chip on his shoulder when he's coaching his guys up. So defensively, the Arizona's got dudes that can run. Pac-12, you know they do. They got a you know a bunch of big two-gap and defensive linemen up front that are going to be eaters that it's going to be hard to run the ball on. But the look, the juice man, Coach Cap, has got the offensive line up and both are fucking rolling. And I am so happy that he's the offensive line coach up there. First of all, he's developing the shit out of these kids. He's behind all of them in the right way trying to push them forward as men and players. I love Coach Tucker's attitude and the way that they're recruiting. I've seen a lot of people on Twitter being negative about the recruiting. Man, shut up. This Jackson kid, the kid they got, the the, the true freshman coming in early and rolling that threw seven touchdowns the other night, I wouldn't be surprised if he starts as a true freshman and they build around him. And to, we got a dual threat in, in Boulder again, and he's just making people look stupid. You can really tire out people at a mile high. So I... I really love the direction of the program. I anticipate the Buffs win this game, but it is going to be close. You know, and then they've got a short week and they go to Oregon next weekend. So this is paramount. They have to get this W at home, especially in the sake of the South and going up two games. I have a feeling we can take care of UCLA. I have a feeling that, you know, the Utah game and the USC game are going to be for the South. So when you've got Washington on deck and Stanford on deck and Cal on deck and Oregon on deck, we you, you've got to take at least two of two out of the and Washington State. You got five North teams. You, you'd like to go three and two against those five. Four and one would be ideal. Five and zero oh would be awesome, obviously. But you're gonna you probably play one of those teams twice down the road if you make it to the Pac-12 title game. And I don't want people to scoff at this. The, the Buffs have the perfect team to do it. They're, they're veteran. They've got dudes everywhere. They've had early success. They beat two ranked teams already, one at home, one on the road. they got a coach with true swag that doesn't give a shit about the past. He's got his team believing that they're good and they can do it, and all they need is consistent success. And honestly, losing the Air Force the way they did was the best thing that could have happened to this team because it woke them up. So... I think the Buffs win. I'm very excited about the atmosphere Saturday in the game. I'll be down on the field scouting. Uh, so if you see me up in Folsom, say what's up. Uh, and, and you know, always go Buffs, go Broncos. Like I said, I am Matt McChesney. This is episode 49 of McChesney Unchained on the DNVR Podcast Network. Uh, check out the show at DNVR Unchained um, on Twitter. And then also check out the, the Football Academy and 6-0 Strength at at six zero academy on twitter and instagram we do a lot of good stuff on social media and then the website is six zero strength.com check that out as well um <clears throat> thanks to our sponsors 10th and uni and to neuro xpf uh, this is episode 49 remember episode 50 on tuesday of next week we will have the great andrew mason and the goat
Mr. Steve Atwater, number 27 for your Denver Broncos, Ring of Famer and soon-to-be Hall of Famer, hopefully. Wake up, Canton, on the show in studio. Uh, so we'll be talking a lot of Broncos ball and a little history, and it's always good to have Steve on the show. Uh, so we'll be rocking the house on Tuesday. Uh, I'm Matt McChesney. That's episode 49. Thanks a lot, folks. Have yourself a great weekend. Stay safe. Go Buffs. Go Broncos.